Alright, alright. Welcome once again to Drop Pass Podcast. And you know what, bud? Today is a great day since just a couple days ago, this podcast celebrated its one year anniversary. So thank you so much for sticking with me for the first full calendar year. It's been an exciting as well as challenging year overall. And I hope that you've come to learn what this show really is all about. And I will guarantee you that I'm going to implement a few new things for the future, which would enhance the overall experience of this podcast even more. It really feels like we've only begun this journey, even though it's already been a year since the first episode came out. But since there really is a lot I can improve upon myself, as well as change up a few things more to my liking, which I hope will please you as well, and bring in some guests every now and then to lighten up the feeling of this show in the big picture. The year has gone by extremely fast and even though you wouldn't listen to this show on a weekly or even monthly basis, I appreciate the support and hope that I brought some kind of value for whenever you've dropped by for an episode or two. So like I said, now that I've gotten into groove of making these episodes and understand what, for example, it takes to implement guest episodes, I feel like many aspects are going to improve and force the next step for this journey which will benefit both parties you as the listener, and me as the humble creator. And if you feel like there's not much you can do to help me or this show to grow or impact the future of this podcast any way, shape, or form, that is not the case since best things you can do is to listen to these episodes, rate the podcast on the platform you are using, share my stories on IG, for example, or just tell your friend about this debacle of a hockey show. And those things won't take that much time or effort on a wide scale, but will benefit the podcast massively more than you might think to be really straight with you. The search engines and the algorithms depend on activity, so your small gesture will be a vital asset when I'm trying to build and grow this show for wider audiences. But as I said, I'm very grateful for the support I've received thus far and hope to see you more often in the future. And don't ever hesitate to contact me if you have any ideas, comments, suggestions, or you just want to fuck with me. Because even small adjustments on a wide scale will lead to huge outcomes. So please, if you have anything on your mind, don't be afraid to speak out. I welcome every piece of interaction I can get. So don't you worry about the outcome. I'm here to learn and improve. So don't be afraid to spread the love or hate however you might feel. But when it comes to this week's episode, and if you are also wondering why this episode came out so late, the reason is that I'll be out of town this weekend, so there won't be any new episodes coming next weekend. And I wanted to feature this episode before we move too far away from the actual birthday of this podcast. This week's episode is going to cover the teams that didn't find their way to the playoffs, and we will discuss their progress on course of the regular season, and point out some bright spots as well as disappointments from each team while we're at it not too detailed review so don't you worry and that's pretty much all i wanted to say before we kick things off and i don't want to hold out too much longer so what do you say if we get the intro music rolling to celebrate the one year anniversary and get this episode really underway yeah i thought so so without further ado let's get going Okay, cowboy. Celebration is now done and it's time to check out the worst teams in the league. 
their best and worst performers as well as their seasons overall before their summer holiday season. But before that, a few news around the league worth mentioning related to the playoffs. Starting with bad news related to the Blues, Jordan Binnington was hurt in the third game of the series against the Avs and will miss the remainder of it due to a lower body injury. The Avs as well suffered a setback when their second pairing defenseman Samuel Girard was absolutely clobbered behind their net by Ivan Barbashev in that exact game and he as well will miss the remainder of the playoffs due to a broken sternum. Chris Tanev still seems to be hurt, which will not benefit the Flames when facing the high-flying offense of the Edmonton Oilers. And it has to be said that their defense struggled because of his absence and overall they've not been able to slow down Mac Jesus and the company whatsoever. Same thing goes with Tori Grug, who is still questionable for the Blues, but seemingly is slowly making his comeback to their back end, even though there ain't no set timetable for his return onto the ice. On the roster front, Brian Rust inked a 5-year sheet with the Penguins with an AAV of 5.125. Meanwhile, the talks between the Pens and Yevgeny Malkin seem to be stalled, since according to rumors, Gino is looking for way more money than what the Pens have offered thus far. Chris Latang remains unsigned as well, and this most likely is going to be the end for the original pack of Crosby, Malkin and Latang, who've been the longest-standing trio representing their original team, that drafted them in the NHL. And as a cherry on top, the journey for Jack Campbell in Toronto seems to be heading for its ending, and the Leafs are going to search for a younger starter in the offseason to put them over the hump next year. John Gibson has been rumored to be the noteworthy option for them, but we'll see what the future heading for the Ducks will be, since that will determine some of their moves in the offseason, since the unloading started on the deadline already, but what the next move will be is going to be an interesting thing to see once the organization starts to build their team for the next season. Other than that, the playoffs haven't slowed down one bit, quite vice versa, and both series, the Battle of Alberta as well as Blues versus Avs, have been as entertaining as anyone could expect. As I mentioned, the President's Trophy curse took its next victim and the Panthers were swept in just four games against the defending Stanley Cup champs in a quick and easy fashion. Their power play was absolute dog shit throughout the series. Top line production was suppressed to a minimum and their blue line didn't hold away many expected before the season started. But if you are a hardcore fan, you might recall me saying that this was going to be one of their biggest challenges which ended up becoming the truth in this series. The Bolts really showcased their championship pedigree and really put their bodies on the line in order to sweep the Cats out of the playoffs and nobody probably expected Vassy to turn up the notch and totally stonewall the Panthers in a seven-game series. I mean, he is currently playing his way to the Hockey Hall of Fame of goalies and it's absolutely mind-boggling how freakishly good this guy is when the games start to matter. The regular season wasn't anything out of the ordinary when, for example, comparing to Sheshjerkin, but once the playoffs rolled around, he found the next gear from his gearbox and it was over at that point for their oppositions. Absolute seal nerves on this guy and I'm just amazed by his ability to totally change his mindset when the season is on the line. And if my sources are once again right, this guy has six shutouts in their last seven series clinching games, so take that to the bank 
if your credit is running low. Absolute freak of an athlete and I can already guarantee you at this point that they are going to tear down their next opposition the same way they undressed the Panthers because I saw the championship hunger in their eyes in that last game against the Cats and they were even able to do that without Braden Point so if he's able to make his comeback it doesn't take longer than four games for them to advance to the finals let me tell you that another factory promise but take it as you will another wagon headed for the finals the Canes Rangers series has been the most uneventful one thus far while the last quarterfinals matchup between the Avs and the Blues will continue as a very tight series if Husso can hold the door shut in the absence of their starter Binnington. If he's not able to do that, the series will be over in just a few days and like any other postseason, the drama follows Nazim Kadri wherever he goes so if you want to be entertained, I would advise you to tune in for that series because it's about to go to another level. Mike Smith has proven to be the most inconsistent goaltender in the league. Connor McJesus is a man on a mission and will probably win the scoring title from the playoffs even if he would get eliminated in this round. And also, I need to go back to my earlier take and correct the fact that Evander Kane has been an awesome addition for the Oil's top six and has brought his A-game to Alberta now that the real games have started. He's been exactly what the Oils could have ever wanted and he has shined alongside McDavid on their first line while bringing his physical presence onto the ice on each shift. Leon Dreisaitl is battling with a lower body injury which doesn't seem to slow him down in the point production standpoint. Zach Hyman, the human meat grinder, has brought his presence to the playoffs and even though their defense has been anything but impressive, they've been able to win games because of their high-flying offense. Antiranta is still keeping the Canes afloat because of his tremendous performances and as well his counterpart Igor Shesterkin has continued right where he left off in the regular season. Carter Verhage was the only bright spot within the Cats' offensive bunch and most of the big boys, Kucherov, Stamkas, Sibanejad, Goudreau, O'Reilly, Makar, Fox, Landeskog, Ketchuk, Hedman, McKinnon and the rest have been on the level that many expected during the last stretch of the season. And last thing I want to point out just before we move on to our main topic. If you recall, I said in the playoff preview that Jake Ottinger had to raise his level to new limits if the Stars were hoping to have any chance of clinching a spot in the next round and boy did he do exactly that and even went beyond the wildest expectations set for him before the postseason. In seven games, he was able to put up insane numbers. 1.81 goals against average and 0.954 save percentage. And if I don't bullshit you too much, those numbers were the second best in the NHL history for a starter that played more than five games during the postseason. Those are absolutely crazy numbers and mind you he faced almost 300 shots within the seven game series against the flames and most of the goalies in the quarterfinals have now just barely passed that mark after three or so more games in the next round amazing performance and if this is his level going forward the stars don't have to worry about their goaltending position because you have your start in your crease for years to come end of story Lots of hockey still to come and 3 out of 4 series are still pretty much in the air so there's still a lot to play for. 
But those were pretty much the news I wanted to point out before we move on. And if you want to check the stats or the playoff tree, I would advise you to surf the internet since I feel like those are way more easily available for you than some of the insights that I gladly share with you on almost weekly basis. You feel me? Great. Let's move on to our main course. So next up, this year's bottom feeders in the NHL that missed the postseason and the remaining 16 teams will be under review once we close out the playoffs next month. But starting from the bottom, my lovely Montreal Canadiens with 22 wins and 60 losses in total and one of the worst seasons in the franchise history by far. But on the hindsight, nothing major was expected from this bunch before the season started. I was expecting them to struggle this year and finish in the bottom three of the division, which ended to be true, but they ended up being even worse than I thought when it came to standings. I was anticipating Nick Suzuki to become their number one point producer, and the hot take was that Christian Dvorak was going to break his career high point total, but injury slowed down that process and he finished the season with solid 33 points in 56 games. Josh Anderson improved his numbers, Rem Pitlick had a convincing first year as a hab, Artur Lehkonen became their main marketing chip on the deadline, while Jeff Petrie was horrific for most of the season, while Jeff Petrie was horrific for most of the season until the very last part of it, when he started to pick up the slack before the whole thing was over for them. They suffered with injuries this season and dressed 40 players in total, which showed in their results. While the brightest spot for them this year was the emergence of Cole Caulfield under their new head coach, Martin St. Louis. He blasted his way to the second spot on their inner scoring table and finished the season with 23 goals and 20 assists in 67 games. And just to point out, he had like 10 to his name in his first 40 or 50 games, so he really stood out once the boss changed behind their bench. Love to see it, and the expectations only grows on his part when heading to the next season. Major down year overall, which will come with its benefits, the first overall pick. And I've already erased this season from my memory, so the vision is already in the upcoming season. Next up, the Yotes. Well, nothing was expected from them, and nothing was gained either, so how would I describe their season? Well, best I can do is atrocious. They had to leave the Hilla River Arena and decided to share an arena with Arizona's college team. So, talk about fucking jokes. The arena has the capacity of a city bus and the college games will most likely intrigue more attention than the NHL, so it is even possible that they will be kicked out of that stadium as well. And I'm not that convinced about the rebuild either, since even though some of their young guns have taken big steps this year, they still seem to be miles away from a real NHL stardom, which the city would desperately want to attract some kind of momentum. Clayton Keller became their best scorer as I had anticipated, but so far he hasn't showed that he could be the X-factor for the city with this upside. Mick Smoltz had a very good year on paper and Shane Gostasphere was able to revitalize his career in desert, but other than that, the team was hot garbage the whole year, and as anticipated, was missing those X-Factor players that would improve their spot in the central. As said, some of their prospects impressed with their development, but still the Desert Dogs are desperately trying to find Jack Sparrow's compass to show them the way to the promised land. They have their future keys in hand, but overall the sandstorm in Desert just 
doesn't seem to clear out. And now even their number one defenseman, Jacob Chikrin, might be headed for greener paths. And in wide spectrum, I don't know if many players would be willing to take few hundreds more, plus the sunny weather, to play in an NCAA arena with less fans in the stands than people lining up on the McDonald's drive through on Sunday morning. It's miserable to watch them waddle each year with blind optimism and hope that their prospects will turn the tide for them in few years. Something just needs to change if they ever want to succeed. I would love it if they just said fuck it this offseason and put some paper on the line for some studs but that would be the biggest hot take of the offseason so don't expect anything major happening in Arizona besides some drama once they've settled to their new home. So best of luck Yotes. At least the weather is great, but that's about it for you guys. Then we have just three points ahead at the newest franchise in the NHL, the Seattle Kraken, and man. Did some of the so-called experts overrate and ride the tailcoats of the Vegas Golden Knights after their extremely successful first year in the league. Last team in the Pacific by a country mile and one of the worst goaltending tandems in the entire league this season. As I had expected, Jared McCann and Yanni Gord, plus veteran presence Jordan Eberle, had strong seasons in Seattle, and even Alex Weinberg was able to put up points for them, but other than that, the group left something to desire for their second season in the NHL. Jaden Swartz suffered with injuries again this season and was only able to suit up for 37 games in the regular season, which showed in his point column. Morgan Geeky didn't have as strong of a season as I had expected and both Chris Dreger and Philip Grubauer were major letdowns in their crease, to say the least. Seemingly both were somewhat carried by their former defensive course and now they have tons to prove heading into next season. I didn't expect them to finish in the bottom of the division but few injuries and lackluster performances accelerated their fall to the end tail of the entire league. We'll see what their approach will be for the next season. I'm expecting a small improvement from this past season, but more so, they might be looking to enhance their prospect pipeline through the draft and trade few of their pieces in order to gather few more draft picks for the upcoming entry draft. Not much to say about their inaugural season in the show, and this year's performance proves my point that a few wiser moves would have improved their position in the league, but this was their chosen approach and now they just have to stick with it before becoming contenders in this league. After Seattle, we head back to Eastern Conference where we meet one of the bigger disappointments of this year's NHL season, the Philadelphia Flyers. They were pretty much the laughingstock of the NHL this year and they got bent over backwards by most teams in the league. Ryan Ellis was sidelined pretty much from the get-go. Drama surrounding Keith Yandel, Claude Giroux and Rasmus Ristolainen didn't help the team one bit and overall the team was just horrendous related to expectations, point blank. Another huge overpayment came back to bite them in the ass and their top players were not able to produce with the same consistency they've been able in the past. And of course, Sean Couturier's injury was a major blow for the entire team. Their entire defense was just bad the entire season and I'm not just talking about their players but their whole defensive system and of course their main starter Carter Hart was one of the victims of that outcome. 
I'm not really sure what their approach is going to be for the next season since they are in the brink of a rebuild. But on the hindsight, they got competitive enough squad which should be able to improve upon this season if they get their heads in the game and are able to dump one or two of their underachievers from their roster. I made a total fool of myself by predicting them to advance to the playoffs and anticipating their defense to be much better than what we've seen during the past few years. So major L for JT on this one. I don't even know what the worst scenario for them would even be since this is pretty much their rock bottom and with a healthy lineup plus solid goaltending they should be on the top half of the metro. But that's a pipe dream at this point. I ain't afraid to say that since I've learned my lessons regarding the players. Cam Atkinson was a good addition to their lineup but not many others can pat their back after such a horrific season and the tide in Philadelphia didn't end up turning as I had predicted. Interesting times ahead in the city of brotherly love and wait to see what they got in store once we head to the offseason. Moving on to the next team which can be found within the same division, the New Jersey Devils. And to be honest, they didn't achieve as much as I was expecting this season and what was one of the main reasons for such a lackluster season for them was their goaltending which was missing for the entirety of the campaign. Main starters, Blackwood, only 25 games this year, and veteran Jonathan Bernier, 10 games to his name and overall, they dressed 7 different goalies in the course of the season. It undoubtedly cost them some games, but their defense as well looked like its usual self, so the goaltending wasn't the only thing that was lacking from their game. I was expecting Jack Hughes to burst into the scene in the forefront of the next wave of NHL superstars and quite frankly that was about to happen until he suffered a season-ending injury midway through the season. He had the potential to become their number one point guy this year but since he missed 30 games Jesper Brad was able to take that crown and really stood out this year for the Devils. 73 points in 76 games was impressive and also the emergence of Yegor Sarangovic was a major boost for this team this year. And as I said in the season preview, this team has started to look like a real competitor in the East and once the remaining pieces start to fall to their places, this team could be a menace in the Eastern Conference in just few years. Dawson Mercer had himself a very solid first year and Nico Hischier proved his offensive potential this year by notching 60 points in 70 games for the Devils. Dougie Hamilton was by far their biggest letdown, but I wouldn't count on this becoming the new norm once the next season rolls around. Disappointing season for them, but promising signs can be seen if the team stays healthy and their prospects take even bigger roles on their team during the next couple of years. So in this case, you just need to look behind their numbers. Then we head back to Western Conference where we find the Blackhawks who could be facing tough times ahead of a rebuild. Second last in the Central and pretty much the ending that many expected before the season started. The thing for them is that the pipeline isn't filled with top end prospects and for example Kirby Doc hasn't been able to stay healthy which has backpedaled his development and made some question his upside in the league. Henrik Borgström was probably their best defensive forward this year but the production is still missing from this talented Finnish forward. Goaltending was from the bottom half of the league and once Flurry left Chicago, Langinen wasn't able to find the same gear from the last year when he stood on his head in their crease. 
Seth Jones added good numbers from the back end and the main villains Patrick Showtime Kane and Alex Debrinket lit up the lamp as well as they could but the team is just starting to collapse in front of those guys and I really believe that the team's front office will take a deep look at their current state and evaluate the team's future in the offseason because currently they are in no man's land and barely keeping their heads above the water. Some youngsters were able to make their debuts in the bright lights and showed good glimpses of their future projections but until that happens big changes could be ahead of them already during the offseason. Not many major surprises and overall underwhelming season but not surprising by any means. Next up on the line are the three remaining teams from the Atlantic Division which missed the playoffs. The Senators, Red Wings and the Sabres in that order so let's start from the Canadian capital. The Sens had a season which you could expect from a young and unexperienced team up and down throughout the entire season. Good year from Brady Ketchuk, Timmy Stu, Drake Patterson and Josh Norris while Artem Zub made his presence known in their back end and lightning fast Alex Formenton was able to sit nicely to their top 9 alongside their other young bucks. Kachuk took their scoring title with 67 points in 79 games and the top end of this team is starting to look menacing the further we get into their development. They decided to ship out their best defensive forward Nick Paul to Tampa Bay who is now making his presence known in their top 9 but acquired Matthew Joseph from the Sunrise State who was left with minimal ice time in Tampa but benefited greatly from the change of scenery. 12 points in 11 games is more than decent in a bottom feeder team and although it's a small sample size I was already expecting these kinds of numbers in Tampa. Well not over point per game but stronger than what he was able to put up for the back to back champs. They rotated some of their young bucks in their lineup throughout the season and unfortunately my breakthrough candidate Shane Pinto was sidelined for almost the entire season and we didn't get to see his level after a few stints for the Sens last year. Hopefully he's able to come back from his injury and continue right where he left off in 2020-2021 season. The goaltending aspect for them is still in the air. Anton Forsberg took the starting job from Matt Murray and was fairly impressive in the last stretch of the regular season and they still have few intriguing names in the pipeline waiting for their chance at the next level so we'll see if their group of young talents will take the crease in the coming years or if they use one of their top prospects to acquire a steady presence to their crease already next season. Seemingly they are not going to do any drastic changes during the offseason since their core is starting to take its shape but few solid adds could enhance their transition from the bottom feeder to an actual playoff contender in just one or two years depending on their youth movement, goaltending and overall strength of their lineup. Interesting times ahead in Ottawa but before their young core is ready to take the next big steps and lead the team in the right direction don't expect sudden changes in the standings for this team. The Red Wings are up next and we all know what their expectations were heading into this season. They are in rebuild mode and are in no rush when it comes to success during the regular season. The Iser plan is in full effect and they were even flirting with a playoff spot before the halfway of the season until men started to play and took that dream away from them before they could even notice. Both Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider were as good as advertised while their former first round pick Philip Sedina still left a bitter taste to mouths of the Wings fans yet again. 
He just doesn't seem to be able to break his scoring slump and at this point GM Iserman is most certainly considering his future in Motown. His shooting percentage was down again this year, so at least I've started to question if this is just his ceiling as a goal scorer on the next level, or is it still bad luck because he has showed his scoring ability previously, but last two years for him have just been horrendous when it comes to point production. We'll see what happens on his part, because in my point of view, a small change of scenery could help him get over the slump that he's currently having. The other option is that Big Y uses his magic and he becomes a 30 goal scorer already next year. We wait to see. I had Pertuzzi as their best point getter before the season, but Dylan Larkin had a career year and ended the year with 69 points in 71 games and beat Pertuzzi by 7 points. Raymond wasn't able to keep his scoring touch until the end and thus Michael Bunting was able to take home the scoring title amongst the rookies while Moritz Sider was able to put up impressive 50 points in a full season and look like an NHL veteran at times already during his first year in the league. Nedeljkovic had himself a pretty tough year behind one of the worst defensive cores in the league which showed in his numbers and lastly Jacob Rana was finally able to get back onto the ice after a long recovery from his injury. So all in all, promising year for the Wings, especially when in comparing to expectations, which they quite honestly surpassed this year with their current roster. Their prospects are slowly growing towards regular NHL hockey, and they have another chance to grab a major gem to their pipeline this summer with fairly high draft pick, but they are still a few years away from really competing for the top spots in the league, and Iserman knows that so, Expect to see major improvement from them after their young guns have established their presence on the next level. The Sabres are up next and finally this year we saw some light from the end of the tunnel for this franchise. Not finishing last in the division was a major milestone for them and add to that impressive seasons from Tage Thompson, rejuvenated veterans Jeff Skinner and Kyle Pozo, and lastly the new leader of their team Alex Tuck. Rasmus Asplund as well has emerged as one of the better two-way forwards in the league and overall they let their young guns test their wings on the next level this year which should benefit them in the long run. Once again it's starting to look more promising for this franchise going forward. Cousins, Krebs, Samuelson, Quinn, Power and Paterka are strong players to build around and their goaltending situation is looking extremely good so now the implementation is the only remaining task on their to-do list. The pieces are there for the future, but how well they are able to utilize those pieces and put them in action is another question that has bothered Sabres fans for many, many years now. Casey Middlestad had another injury-riddled season and was only able to play 50% of their games and thus didn't become the force I was expecting after a strong ending to the 2020-2021 season. Tage Thompson, though, silenced many critics with impressive 68-point season and made the O'Reilly trade look much better, but now he just has to be consistent with his production to turn that trade to a win for the Sabre Nation. My first hot take also found its home as Rasmus Dahlin was able to rack up his first plus 50-point season, while his defensive game still leaves many questions his future upside, because... The lack of effort really shines in his game and seemingly the Buffalo Fever has got the best of him, but we'll see if the competitiveness somehow just emerges as the team starts to stride towards success in a few years. 
because at that point his two-way contribution is needed once the team starts its journey towards the contender status. Then we head back to Western Conference where the next two teams are going to be the two California teams that didn't make the playoffs, the Ducks and the Sharks. Without questions, the Ducks were the biggest surprise early on this season and held on to a playoff spot until the last quarter of the regular season when they started to fall back down to earth and eventually started their fire sale at the deadline. They held very low expectations heading into this season, but the new young core of Terry, Zegras, Milano and Drysdale started their season with a bang and showed what could be expected from this team in just a few years. John Gibson was one of the best tenders early on this season, but just like his team, the level started to drop after the All-Star break and his numbers took a major hit during the last part of the regular season. Their veteran leaders, Henrik, Fowler, Getzlaff, Shattenkirk and Silverberg showed the ropes for these young bucks and were the steady presence on their lineup throughout the season. I was expecting Zegres to take the scoring throne for the team this year and he came very close of doing so, but the magic start that Troy Terry had prevented that from happening and he took their inner scoring title with 67 points in 75 games. And for once, both my hot take as well as my breakout prediction were correct since Troy Terry was able to establish his presence on their first line and break out as a real bona fide top six winger of this league, while Zegres was able to surpass the 55 point mark and eventually finished the season with 61 points to his name in 75 games. They really showed that this team could become a real headache in the West in just few years, and especially when you look at their prospect pool, you start to realize how dangerous this team could become if their top prospects reach the levels they are expected. McTavish and Perot are grooming nicely for top six roles on the next level and their crease looks locked up with the addition of Kale Klang to partner their number one goalie prospect Lucas Dostal. I'm also interested to see what their offseason is going to look like since they dumped many of their former core members such as Lindholm, Manson and Raquel, while few other names are becoming free agents plus Getzlaff retiring, and now that they've realized that the rebuild has ramped up more than what they might have expected, they could be a team that is looking to make some moves once the offseason rolls around. So don't be surprised to see some names signing decent tickets to California, and overall, this season was a major success for the franchise, and definitely the future in Anaheim is looking bright, so keep a close eye on this team. Then when it comes to the other California team that missed the playoffs, the story is a tad bit different one, where the core is aging rapidly and the huge tickets are starting to weigh down on their cap space. That team is the San Jose Sharks and although they were battling for a playoff spot until the last stretch of the regular season, they might be running on fumes when it comes to their future projection. Their biggest achievement this year was the resigning of Thomas Hurdle and with that they secured themselves their future top center behind Logan Couture. Their top producers, Meyer, Hurdle, Kocher, Burns and Carlson were able to keep them afloat in the Pacific until the very end and their goaltending was more solid than I had expected heading into this season. Now that they've acquired Kapokahkonen, they have even more room to maneuver on that front as well, but still their depth is in question since as I've previously said the pipeline isn't filled with top prospects 
and most of their core members are starting to turn to their last page of their professional careers. Vlasic, Burns, Carlson and Couture still rock hefty contracts and are not on their prime anymore, so this team could start to plummet right in front of our eyes if the health aspect comes into question or their performance just starts to drop drastically. I'm betting on the prior, but until that happens, they will cause some headache for the teams battling for the playoff spots. I didn't see them this high in the division ahead of the season, but they pleasantly surprised me and thus, I would say that even though they couldn't reach the playoffs, it was a positive note to see that they could still battle against the top teams in the West and that they hadn't started their slide yet towards the back end of the NHL. Barabanov didn't reach the point totals I was hoping for, but at least he earned himself a nice sheet, and I'm still expecting him to reach the 50-point mark, so I'll stay waiting until that happens. And as a last note for them, they introduced few of their top prospects to the NHL, so I'm eager to see if they can make impacts on the next level, now that they've gotten a small taste of what's it like in the bright lights. Then we head back to East and wrap up the seasons of the Blue Jackets and also the biggest disappointment of this season, the New York Islanders. The Blue Jackets were a major question mark for me before the season started and it ended up being that type of a season for them at the end of it. They didn't have any major expectations going into this season but wanted to fight for a playoff spot which eventually happened to a certain extent. Their core is still taking its shape as they groom some of their prospects for the next level and I was surprised to see how competitive they were in a tough Eastern Conference. They didn't get elite goaltending and battled with injuries throughout the season, but were still able to grind out points in tough matchups. Patrick Laine had a tough year on the personal level, but once he came back, he was able to put up point-per-game numbers, and I believe that he would have even battled against Oliver Bjergstrand for their scoring title if everything went according to plan. That unfortunately didn't happen, but it was nice to see him back on the ice, and scoring at well since that is exactly what they expect from him and overall the team had nice contributions all around their lineup. Cole Sillinger was certainly the biggest surprise for many, me included, since not many expected him to stick with the NHL for the entire season, but he played well compared to expectations, but the rawness can be seen from most of their young bucks, Sillinger, Chinachov and late signing Ken Johnson especially. They got great prospects coming up to the lineup, so brighter days are certainly ahead for the Jackets. And they are still a few years away from a real contender status in the league, so they just have to be patient. But like I said, surprisingly good result from a team that battled with injuries and didn't quite get the goaltending they would have needed. And after that we jump to Long Island where we find the biggest frauds of this year's NHL season. The New York Islanders. And I'm still quite fathomed about the ability to miss the playoffs while both of your netminders rock over 0.910 save percentage. Not to mention Sorokin was in the top 3 with 0.925 save percentage. So how should I explain it? It certainly wasn't because of the lack of goaltending and overall 9 players were able to pass the 30 point mark so I guess it then becomes a question of was their offense enough? And seemingly, the answer is no. Brock Nelson was their best point getter with 59 points in 72 games, while Noah Dobson had himself a career year from their back end with 51 points in 80 games and really made a name for himself this year in the NHL. Barzals, Lees, 
and especially Beauvilliers' point totals took a big hit from the previous season. And also the absence of Ryan Pulock put a dent to their play, but it still doesn't really explain the massive struggles in the early part of the season. They didn't change their core massively from the last season, but seemingly something just didn't click for them and they had to scratch and claw for the last remaining wildcard spot in the Metro. That didn't happen though because of horrendous start to their year and even though they went on a heater at the back end of the season, it wasn't enough and they got their top 16 pick in the entry draft. Similar to Philly, many were expecting big year from this team and that might have affected their ownership's decision to relieve their head coach Barry Trotz from behind their bench. They've been hit or miss offensively under his leadership and thus GM Lamoriello decided that it was time to change the tide for this team and look for a new head coach to get them back into the Stanley Cup conversation next year. This was also a disappointing year for their point machine Matthew Barzal and I've been hoping for his breakthrough offensively for a few years now but Seemingly it is stuck or it is suffocated by their defensive playstyle, so hopefully this will change once the new head coach takes the reins of the team in Long Island. Massive disappointment as I said, but on that same note I feel like it would be stupid to make major adjustments to their current core, since they have depth and scoring prowess on their lineup, so only thing I could think of fixing would be to add one more prominent point getter to their top six, and replace one of their older D-men on their back end. Other than those moves, I still see them as a real competitor in the East and thus believe in them once we head to the next NHL season. And the last three remaining teams come from the Western Conference, the Jets, Canucks and the Golden Knights. The Jets are up next who were as well one of the more disappointing teams this year. Many, me included, expected them to advance to the playoffs, but their depth and defense struggled this year and they missed the playoffs by 8 points. Kyle Connor lit up the scoring table by stacking up 93 points in 79 games and took home their scoring title by a large margin. Mark Scheifele missed 15 games, so he could have challenged him and my hot take for this team ended becoming true as Pierre-Luc Dubois was able to reach plus 55 points this year and impressed in his first full season in Winnipeg. We'll see though if his career continues in Manitoba or if he finds a more suitable option somewhere else in the league. Overall they had the production needed to take home at least a wildcard spot from the central division. Their defense though and thus the goaltending left something to hope for and for example Connor Hellebach who was challenging for Vesna during the previous seasons recorded career low numbers, so some blame could be pointed on his way. And while their defensemen recorded solid numbers this year, their own zone play didn't match the expectations, which also correlates to Hellebuck's low numbers. Three over 30-point D-men on the roster, and even Brendan Dillon was able to notch 20 points this year, so in addition to goaltending and lackluster defensive game, their depth has to take some blame as well, since they tried to rotate their bottom six throughout the season, but... Nothing seemed to stick for them on that front. Many of their prospects also paid visits on their lineup, but since their top six is pretty much locked in at this point, their contribution stayed quite minimal, and now they have to manage those guys who are teasing with a chance to take on their next assignment on their NHL roster. Quite a challenging situation overall, since as you can see from their numbers, you could have expected them to take home a playoff spot, but 
that just didn't happen and some experts have even wondered if a rebuild or retool would benefit the franchise since they've tried with their current roster to advance further into the playoffs which hasn't paid out so would a retool do some good for this team when battling against the Giants in the Western Conference. They got good young guys waiting on the door to make their impacts on the NHL ice so they could be facing a tough offseason to try to work things out with their current roster. Disappointing season overall for them and I can't address enough the fact that this team has a lot of questions to answer before moving on to the next season. The penultimate team of this episode is going to be the Vancouver Canucks and much like the Jets, the Canucks had playoff expectations going into this season but were left out of the last dance by 5 points. Pretty much same principles apply to Canucks than they did to the Jets where the top end had pretty solid season offensively but depth and defense were the weak points of this team. Thatcher Demko did what he could in their crease and JT Miller had himself a monster year so those guys at least did what was expected from them this season. Elias Pettersson was starting to heat up in the back half of the season but much more could be expected from him in the future. And the rest of their top six had solid numbers which unfortunately didn't pay dividends in the long run. This is another one of those teams which seems to have the right pieces to succeed but somehow they have just underperformed during the last couple of years. The defense has been their Achilles heel for many many years now and their cap space is starting to tighten up so some moves need to be done before we head into the next season. Something just isn't clicking for this team but under Bruce Boudreau they were able to fight their way back to the playoff conversation so at least there is hope for the next year. New management and head coach should bring added value for this team and the expectations in the big picture haven't changed so I'm at least already expecting a strong push for the playoff spot again next season. Bad start fucked them over this year so good starts should benefit them once the new season rolls around. And the last team of this episode is going to be the big loser of this year, the NHL's bad boy, the Vegas Golden Knights. Season riddled with injuries and major drama is their summary of 2021-2022 season. Goaltending issues, major injuries and cap troubles were the main headlines for this team throughout the year and we can expect major changes for them during the offseason. Both Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, in addition to their acquisition Jack Eichel, were only able to play just over 30 games this year, while Riley Smith missed almost 30 games. William McCallson was sidelined for 15 games of the regular season, and as a cherry on top, their starter Robin Leonard only played 44 games with below average numbers, so one could say that the karma caught up to this team this year. I think those aspects pretty much explain why they missed the playoffs and it has to be said that it was impressive how this team was able to still battle for a playoff spot, basically without their top guns on offense. Without those injuries, I have no doubts that they wouldn't have battled for a playoff spot in the West and even though their top D-man Theodore and Pietrangelo had a bit of a down year on the offensive side, they still contributed good numbers from the back end and led the team from the blue line. Nicola Waugh was by far their biggest surprise by notching 39 points in 78 games and Chandler Stevenson's 64 points in 79 games was also impressive but that was way more expected than the point total that Waugh was able to rack up. They have intriguing offseason ahead of them as I said and many could expect them to bounce back after this injury riddled season that they just had. Big disappointment 
but when looking at the results related to circumstances, you can't really draw too many conclusions from this season. This team has become one of the more hated teams in the NHL and I can fully understand why, but that's the way they operate. Big stakes on the line, always, and for that the results can be enormous as well. And this year they paid that price, so we'll see how they bounce back from this after their first year without playoff hockey. But that wraps up the review for teams that didn't see any postseason action this year. And as I said, I didn't want to get too much into details on why these teams didn't find their ways beyond the regular season. These teams pretty much could be divided into three categories. The rebuilders, the nomads and the what-ifs based on their recent regular season. Many teams have their sights set up for the future. Some teams need to make small adjustments in order to find success, while few teams are still searching for their identity and trying to work out their vision for the future. Next thing for these teams is to figure out their plan for the entry draft and think about possible moves during the draft to place themselves in favorable positions ahead of the next season. Let me know your thoughts on these teams and what they should do during the offseason in order to grab a certain playoff spot next season. Especially if you are a supporter of one of these teams and have some insight into what the next move for the franchise could or should be. Thank you once again for listening and you as well buddy can give yourself a nice pat on the back for supporting this young journey. And for all you hardcore listeners, here comes your task for the anniversary episode. Tell me your favorite episode to this date, since I would be very eager to hear what has really stuck with you and what kind of episodes you would like to see in the future as well. And as the last note before we close out, the Champions League final is upon us and you know that my jinxing has been elite thus far. So we'll keep the trend going and predict that Poole will take home the trophy on May 28th. Shank. Hala Marid. That's all for this week. Remember to support the journey and once again thank you so much for the support. You are the MVPs. Have an awesome week you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Alright.